Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. But this is more than a good news segment. I have got somebody joining me here today who not only when I think about his lifetime, I take a look at the many different choice points he has had. I take a look at what he has learned. And the only way that I see this is through this fabulous book that he has written, Take Charge. Take Charge. What does that mean? So I was reading his book. Norman Norman Bacall. I was reading his book and what I was thinking about was for myself, wow, this is such insight, not just for me as I look back at my career, but anybody out there that is thinking about how do I go from where I am today, wherever you are, to that place you want to go in your career and in your life. This is one of these books that comes along once in a blue moon because it cuts to the chase. It's filled with great stories, but it also has such personal meaning. Norman, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Pat. It's uh, really it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I got to go from a punchline I highlighted in your book, and I'm a highlighter in the book kind of girl. Um I don't know why that is. I just like to get that highlighter out, and there it is. And I want to go to this part in the book. And it hit me so right between the eyes. So I'm reading the book, and there are a couple things I'm going to talk to you about. But I get to this part, and it's pretty close to the end. And it says this. There is no easy path to the top, regardless of where the mountain is located. Ultimately, It's about choices. We look at some of those choices further on. But I love this. Ultimately, it's about choices. I want to ask you this question. This is a fabulous book, Take Charge, The Skills That Drive Professional Success. I love this. I want to ask you, what was your greatest obstacle? What was that thing, Norm, that you had to overcome And then once you overcame it, it was like, whoa, I think I've got a little bit of insight. What was that thing? Because you have a fabulous career. You have launched a successful, successful isn't even the right word, uh, law firm. You are somebody that when we pick up this book to read it, we're not reading it from an academic perspective. We're reading it from somebody that has done this. Can you think about what that obstacle might have been? Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, and there are really two of them, but the first one is not what you would imagine as an obstacle. I was four years into my career, and and my career was going okay. I was uh, I was a lawyer at a 
a very respectable law firm. We were relatively small. I think we were at the time about 30, 35 lawyers, which in those days wasn't too big. And I, I, I walked into my annual review and my boss looks at me and about 15 minutes in, into the interview, he says, Norm, I don't know what it is, but there's something missing. And I can't even explain to you what it is. And I don't think, I don't think a sentence in my lifetime ever crushed me more up to that point. Like it's clear I'm getting a negative review. Yeah. <laughs> He's basically telling my career, my career is going nowhere and he can't give me any advice for how to fix myself. So I went home and I had a chat with my wife and if, you know, sometimes we, you talk or you read about life turning point moments and this was it for me. Yeah. And my wife, Sharon, listen, listens to my story, my tale of woe. And she begins to talk to me and she doesn't stop talking for about an hour. And at the end of the hour, the one thing I've boiled out of this is, Norm, you're not taking enough initiative. It's like you're letting this all happen to you. Like yet you have a, you know, you have a nice career where you are, but your boss is basically telling you you're not, you're not climbing, you're not going anywhere, and it's because you're not. And and these these are the words that end up becoming the title of the book. You're not taking charge of where you're going. And I made a resolution that night that from that point forward, everything that happened to me was going to be my decision and not somebody else's, and that went from every single interaction I had to every meeting I attended. I was the guy in the meeting. I, I was a, I was, you know, I'm a tax lawyer. In the old days, I guess you'd call me a tax geek. Yeah. <laughs> I was the guy sitting in the corner in all these meetings, taking the notes and then leaving the room and figuring out what to do. Like I was smart enough to do that, but I was never the guy who you would ever imagine leading that meeting. And I decided from that day forward, every time I walked into a meeting, I would lead it, I would run it, I would take the initiative and I would become something that I wasn't yet. So apart from anything else, I had to find out if I had it in me. I didn't know. And what I saw very slowly over the course of the next year was a transformation, not only in the way I behaved, but in the way I saw the whole world and the, and the opportunities that were suddenly there for me. And mm. literally within... 12 months of that point, I had designed my first, my first deal on my own. And within two years of that point, I, I had become, uh, and it's shocking, I'd become the leading Canadian expert in film finance and went on over the next course of the next 10 to 15 years to become one of the leading lawyers in the world in that area. And I started consulting with major Hollywood studios. Uh, I spent a lot of time on the lot at Warner Brothers. Uh, I ended up on the board of Lionsgate. But if I'd gone back to that point in my fourth year and you looked at me and you analyzed me like my boss, you would have said, Norm, like lots of potential, but we, we have no idea how to tap into it. And it was one word and it was called initiative. Mm. Wow. You know, I, the reason I ask you that question is because there's so much for people to hear in your answer and your journey and your story that sometimes doesn't get translated. Uh, and, it, you know, I've do, been doing this 17 years and I've asked that question for a lot of interviews and I'm always in awe 
to hear a person's answer to that, and especially yours. Um, <laughs> you know, because I think about myself and my own corporate career, and especially where I am now. And I, of course, I remember the performance reviews where they said that they thought I was from another planet. I mean, imagine this: you're you're a corporate executive, and somebody puts that in your review. Now I know that was a compliment. <laughs> Now, now I'm sitting here, you know, the founder of the Only Transformation now. Network, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do with that. But here's what I love about this. You are sharing what most people would call secrets of success, and they're not. You are really helping others in a world right now where the latest study for graduates coming out of school ask what is the most important thing to you from your company and they don't ask they don't answer money benefits they're like oh compassion and empathy and in the in the old world we call these soft skills but you come right out of the gate and talk about soft skills can we have a conversation on soft skills because honestly up until i read your book i thought like, is anybody going to talk about soft skills? <laughs> yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Go. It's no, like all of a sudden we forgot. This book, this, book is only, this book is only about soft skills. Right. It's, it, it's, what lie, it's what lies between your ears and, then, and how you take advantage of it. But, uh, but these are all skills nobody's teaching. And, and that's the problem. The professional schools don't teach it. The business schools don't teach it uh, other than in, you know, how to negotiate. But it's not. You know what, what? And I talk about it in the book. It's everybody assumes when you've been to professional school and you, if you want to succeed, you have to be a great communicator. That when you speak, people have to listen. And what nobody realizes, or what few people focus on, is it's the reverse. It's it's as simple as I mean, your your most important communication skill is not how well you speak; it's how well you listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how how you observe the people you're dealing with, and they they could be, you know, in most cases they're your your business clients or the people you deal with or the people you interact with or your most significant other. And we're so busy talking, and interrupting and arguing, uh, because our perception is, and it's a natural perception, we're the most important person in the world. But when you're trying to to deal with someone, when you're trying to create relationships. You got to flip it on its backside. Most important person in the room is the person I'm talking to, which means if I want to benefit from this relationship, whether it's to sell them something or provide them with a service or really understand them or, or advance our relationship, it's about how well am I listening to you and putting my own thoughts aside. And it's really hard, particularly when you get emotional uh, or or when you're convinced that while the other person's speaking. Uh, that you know that what you have to say is more important. That's what it always starts with. What I have to say is more important. So listen. Well, guess what? The other person's thinking exactly the same thing. Wow. So if you want to advance with them, and I found this was this this was you know one of the keys to my success was just sit down, listen to people, hear their stories. You know, I used to be, and I'm just going to segue from. One. Yeah, yeah. I used to be the guy who you know that guy who you're sitting with at at, at a dinner. And the last person in the room you want to be sitting next to is that person because they're just boring as all heck. <laughs> and, 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 you know, if you get in a conversation with them in about 10 seconds, you're not going to know what to say. I was that person. I was that person you didn't want to be sitting next to because I'm like most people. I'm an introvert. I'm 
fairly shy, I, and I know it may be hard to guess that from this conversation, but you know, I've learned some skills about how to act uh, that allow me to get through it. And the most important thing I learned, and this again from my wife, because she, like, she's the hero of my life, um, but the most important piece of advice she gave me to get through those situations is interview the person sitting next to you. Ask them, ask them a continuous flow of questions about their lives and what they're doing, and each question will lead to the next. You will get through that entire dinner. Now, they may not know a thing about you when it's finished, but you know what they're going to walk away saying? And I've seen this from experience. What they're going to say is, wow, Norm's one of the most interesting people I've yeah. ever met. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's crazy, but, it, but it's true. <laughs> it is true. And, you know, I was really struck by a couple of things. You know, one of the things I walked away uh, with from the book was, and and first of all, it is I love the format. I especially love the questions you ask. Um, you know, you go to an end of a, a chapter of the book and read, and then there are like about six different little mini paragraphs with a whole bunch of questions. And I thought to myself, Norman can like pull those out and literally teach this to people, but or we could learn this ourselves. But I was struck by a couple of things in the book. And one of them is that... <sighs> I scored so high on the introvert scale in my corporate career that my bosses were, they were just like, you're never going to be a great manager. You're just, you can't. That was when we misunderstood what introverts are. I'm also shy. And you would never know it. Never know it. But one of the things that's really cool about being able to not be the first one to jump in on the conversation those things right on on both sides, on one side of our head and the other, those things that we call our ears, we do a lot of listening. And I wanted to ask you this. You talk about three things in your book about how do we choose a restaurant. I'm really struck by your emphasis on service. And I also think in today's world, it is one of the least understood attributes. And I want to ask you, is service today more important than it was 10 years ago? And will it be the cornerstone, the trigger, the thing that decides I'm going to buy that million dollar dot, dot, dot or not? <laughs> um, you, you triggered an example in my head that I hadn't really thought of at <laughs> this moment, but uh, because of the pandemic, I'm, I'm in my 60s, so, so we're being very careful, and most of what we order gets delivered. Yeah. But I can tell you, uh, when when I look, at, regardless of what I think about Amazon and how big they are and how they're, you know, how people say they're trying to control the world, when I order something and I get an email from Amazon saying your uh, your your package will arrive this morning. And it, and it actually arrives about half an hour before I'm expecting it. It's hard for me to think of anything other than these guys are geniuses. Yeah. So you talk about service and what have they done? They obviously they've, they've got a complicated, uh, you know, series of servers and connectivity that they've set up, but, but that the, regardless of what's in the background that we never see, they promise and they deliver. And in fact, they consistently beat my expectations. And when you talk about service, uh, and I talk, I, I talk about it in the, in the book, it's yeah. about 
managing expectations and over delivering. Yep. And, and you hear that and you hear so many people say it, you know, under promise and over deliver. And they're just words until you actually do it or until you listen to what your client asks for and says, I can get that to you by Wednesday. And then you deliver it on Tuesday and they love you. Uh, but you delivered on Thursday and they're off mm. thinking, okay, who else can I hire? No who kidding. Who else can I use? Or I don't use that service anymore. And why? Because they've set an expectation that they haven't met. And in that respect, I think, you know, in 100 years, nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is the way we deliver it and what's going on behind the scenes that you can't see. I think, and that's why I wanted to reduce it to a restaurant scenario. We as, we as lawyers or accountants or engineers uh, or, or business people, we're really you know, we, we tend to think ourselves perhaps as more educated and more skilled and more sophisticated, but the reality is we're doing the exact same thing that the waiter in the restaurant is doing. Mm. Again, yeah. a lesson I learned from my, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, he, he uh, was working in a restaurant as a waiter and he, uh, four women are there, he asked them if they want dessert, they all turn it down. He shows up five minutes later with the house special dessert and four forks and he says, this is on the house. Mm. Now putting the issue of cal putting the issue of calories aside, of course they all finish it. He he came home that night and he said, "Listen, you won't believe it, but my it, it cost me eight dollars out of my pay uh, for the cake, uh, but the tip was thirty percent." Yeah. And you see, this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you. There are so many things in the book that you pinpoint, but clearly there are things that I picked up on immediately that are so important and and seriously important conversation to have for people that want to learn the skills, you know, to advance their professional career, to be successful. And it is one of those things that without the examples you give in the book and the one you just gave now, it is very difficult to tr- take an academic. But you, you, I've never been able to. I used to train people on soft skills. You cannot take an academic approach to soft skills. I want to ask you this question. I know you've got to run off. Um, this to me in that example you gave about Amazon. It, it, here's my thing. I know they're going to deliver. But how are they about returns? And we don't think about this as service, by the way. If you get something from a store and it is just not fitting you, it's not the right thing, I don't know, whatever you think it is or it isn't, and you don't want it, how easy is it to give it back? And I find in the online world, that is really a breaking point. And I want to talk to you about this now and jump ahead because I want to talk with you about professional success. And this is the thing that I referred to at the end, the choices you make. I've never made or I haven't always made the best choices in the world. But I will say this. I really did learn about customer service from selling hot dogs from a hot dog cart when I was homeless. And I never forgot that. And I want to ask you, Mm -hmm. What is the greatest, I'm telling you, I did. I mean, I learned that when Luigi walks up to you with his, you know, $1,000 Italian shoes, you say, oh my God, I love your shoes. And a new tie, you say, I love your tie. And you get the hot dog ready, three people before they get there. And I was desperate, Norman. (laughs) I, I was desperate. 
I got hot dogs to eat. How hungry do we have to be in today's world to really say, I'm going to learn these skills? It's, it, it's a, you're asking it in a different way to, than uh, somebody asked me yesterday. Like, what, what's, the, what's the most important thing mm-hmm. that I look for when I'm taking Because I, I mentor young people. Yep. Uh, and I, I sometimes I mentor old people, but uh, it's it's the most fun with young people who are starting out. And they say, "What's the most what's the most important thing you look for in deciding who I take on?" And the simple answer is determination, because it it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter how many years of work or service you put in. What what matters way more is how determined you are. Because let's face it, there are mm-hmm. going to be obstacles. There are going to be problems. There are going to be things you don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. And you have to get over, get over your fear of people thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe Norm doesn't know how to do that yet. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's how I launched my writing career. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I had to learn it. And, and I can tell you, the first draft of my, of my, of my first fiction, I, I keep it on my shelf because it's that terrible. Um, but, and somebody pointed it out to me. And I could have, at that point, you know, put it all down and said, okay, I give up. I'm not good at this. Instead, I looked at it and said, okay, I've got some more things to learn. And I went back and I learned and I learned and I learned. And it's the same is true for everyone. And even, even you with your hot dogs, like you, 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 sometimes you just pick it up. You, you, or you observe somebody else doing something and you say, okay, I'm determined to learn how to do that. And when you remember that the people who have succeeded, uh, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a straight line upward or this, you know, this beautiful angle. What it was is a lot of ups and downs because you learn way more from all the things you, you can't do or that you fail at or, or you go home at night and, you know, with, with your, uh, your head in your hands because you just put in such an awful performance and you have a choice. You can give up and quit or you can say, no, I'm going to learn from what I didn't know how to do yesterday and tomorrow I'm, I'm going to start learning how to do it better. And, and what you see, and this is, this is what came out from all the people I interviewed. And I interviewed close to 25 people who are all, as you know, they're, they're all, their stories are all in the book. Yeah. And the one thing they all had in common was that ability to, to fight through those moments where they were just middle, middle, lower the pack. And one of them started, uh, you know, with a riot from Jamaica with a shirt on his back and nothing else and made it. And you, you know, you look at those and they don't, they're, they don't have to be the exceptions. Right. You know, if, if you're determined to succeed and willing to learn and accepting that you're going to face failure along the way and failure is good for you. I mean, for me, the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me, I can only say this in hindsight, was, you know, the business that I spent 25 years building uh, collapsed the year after I left management. So you know, at, at at first blush, it was a huge economic loss, and pretty much everything I'd spent my entire adult life building was had, was disappeared. Everything was gone. Everything was gone, and I thought, what a huge loss. And again, it was my wife who gave me a pen and a, and a piece of paper and said, you know, "Start processing your anger." Mm. And that's what began my writing. That began my writing career. So, so out of the ashes came this new opportunity, and we all have that opportunity. It doesn't matter how bad things are today. As you know, it doesn't matter that you're starving and homeless. You know, if you, it takes one opportunity, or as I say to the people I'm mentoring, just one client is all you need to get started to change your life. And you can do it. 
I, I think your book and your message and what you have shared so generously, Norm, has been for so many people that pick this book up and read it. It is a blueprint, not just about professional success, but so many of the things you've included in here are also attributes of personal success. And I want to thank you for all that you do. Please tell us how we can find out more about you and how we can get a copy of the book. Sure. The, the greatest challenge you're going to have is how do you spell Bacall? And it's B-A-C-A-L. And so it's uh, you can go to my website, normanbacall.com, uh, and see all my books. And I do speaking engagements. Uh, the other way to find my books is uh, they're all available on Amazon and iBooks and pretty much anywhere else you'd normally look for them. Uh, Take Charge, uh, The Skills That Drive Professional Success is the name of the book. And uh, you can find that. My previous book is called Breakdown, uh, which is the memoir, which yeah. uh, there, it, which is chock full of everything. Yes. Yeah, no, believe <laughs> me, I know. I've read that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, and you can check out my uh, again. My fictions are also they're they're murder mysteries, modernized uh, Shakespeare stories. You can you can see it all on on the website. And again, it's just Norman Bacall with one L dot com. Norman, I can't thank you enough. I wish we had a little bit longer. Hopefully, you'll come back to my regular full hour show. But thank you for reminding all that. of us. Please, thank you. All right, thanks a lot, Pat. All right, Norman Bacall, everybody, and I'm telling you, this book, from the minute you open it, is going to open a door for you, and you are going to have a decision to make. Do I take this advice? My advice to you, read on. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. You've been listening, but are you watching? Tune in to your favorite shows on the Transformation Talk Radio Facebook page. We stream live video podcasts every day. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. I like to call this our good and informative news segment. And why do I call it that? Look, I have learned so much about the impact on our bodies, the impact on our environment from the decisions we make. But what is it about this Earth Day that is so very important to take in and think about the next decision we make? Today, 
Porva uh, Joshapura is joining me here today, Senior Vice President of International Affairs for the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA. Um, and what is today and why is today one of the most important days that you're going to know as you make these next decisions? Here's what it is. We don't understand the impact of the food that we put in our bodies or that we buy. We don't quite understand the ripple effect. But here's one thing to think about. How, how does meat and dairy affect us? And I don't just mean us as humans. I mean, how does it affect weather? How does it affect what we're doing to the planet? And why now, more than I've seen in my lifetime, plant-based foods really rising to the top? Porva, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dr. Pat. It's wonderful to be here. You know, I got to tell you, uh, I was uh, quite excited, although I don't make a lot of stops to uh, through fast food, but I was quite excited to hear about a change in culture when it came to food and meat. And what I mean by that is... Um, let me just call it the testing they are doing with plant-based food. But I'm not quite sure people understand how deep down the well this situation goes. I think people sometimes think, I think it's great to really go plant-based, but this has some serious implications. And that's part of your message today for Earth Day, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, what we choose to eat has a tremendous impact on the planet. In fact, the, the researchers at the University of Oxford found that cutting out meat and dairy products from our diets can reduce an individual's carbon footprint from food by 73%. And that makes it conceivably the single biggest way to reduce your impact on the planet. And increasingly, people around the world are realizing that one of the easiest ways to save animals, the planet, and our own health is to eat vegan. In fact, each vegan saves up to 200 animals' lives a year simply by not eating them. You know, I was I was thinking about some of the numbers before we came on here, and I was doing a little bit of my research, and I was shocked. I mean, I consider myself to be you know, not super well informed, but pretty much I know I know what's going on. But when I saw some of the numbers, of, and, and I'm talking in particular about the amount of life lost to to feed human beings, um, I, I was just I had to go back and look at these numbers again, and I just thought, wow, we live in such an abundant place, and we don't recognize how quickly. 80 billion land animals, you know, trillions of marine life animals killed every year. I had to just stop for a minute and I couldn't wrap my mind around that. Oh, I, I know. I mean, 80 billion land animals are killed every single year for food. That is eight times the number of humans that there are on the planet. And 2.7 trillion fish are caught every year. That is up to five million fish caught every single minute. So when we look at those numbers and the fact that as many as 99% of animals in the U.S. are factory farmed, which means that they are confined to sheds 
uh, or warehouses by the tens of thousands, it starts to become easier to understand how resource intensive the meat, egg, and dairy industry is. Because it takes far more resources to channel huge amounts of plants and water through animals into clear land to rear those animals and the crops to feed them than it does to eat these plants direct. That's why these industries use up one third of the world's freshwater resources, one third of the global cropland for feed, all while water scarcity affects every continent and more than 690 million people still go hungry. And when I say these animals are factory farmed, I mean they are kept in absolute misery. Chickens used for eggs are kept in cages so small they can't even spread a wing. The chickens used for meat are forced to grow so fast that their bodies fail them. They have heart failure. Male calves are unwanted by the dairy industry because they can't produce milk and they're confined to narrow crates for veal. Pregnant pigs are kept in metal cages so small they can't even turn around. I mean, we don't have to be part of this misery. And, and if we're not, we're better off for it. Because Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is the largest organization of food and nutrition professionals in the U.S., they say that if you're vegan, you're at reduced risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, certain cancers, and obesity. Uh, and, you know, when we're talking about this, one of the things I'm really struck by, and thank you for, first of all, thank you for bringing a new level of awareness. I want to make sure everybody knows that if you want to find out more about this and you want to find out how to make a change in your life. And what I like to say is, look, sometimes it's one change at a time. If you want to do that, go to PETA, P-E-T-A. Org. That's PETA, P-E-T-A dot org. Look, one of the things that, boy, I'd be sorry if we didn't talk about this. You know, I recently discovered <clears throat> I have family in Brazil, and I am acutely aware of how they look at the planet differently than perhaps we do here in the U.S. and maybe other countries. Um, and there's something interesting that's happening all around the world, but I find it more interesting, especially in South America, and that is we are just cutting down plants, trees. We're just chopping away at them. And when you see the pictures of these, uh, it, it just makes you gasp for air, literally. And it, I know that has a lot of different reasons that that's going on, but I want to understand the relationship between some of that and how it relates to uh, animal based foods. Oh, well, we, we literally are gasping for air because cattle used and killed for meat and leather are responsible for about 80% of all deforestation in the Amazon region. And it's not just nice to have those trees and those animals who live in the, that forest. The Amazon produces about 20% of the world's oxygen. And the in the Amazon, Fires are deliberately set to clear land for animals reared for meat, and they can get out of control. Um, we've seen that happen. And facilities linked to raising animals for food occupy about 45% or nearly half of the global surface area. So when you think about it that way, we can see that the meat, egg, and dairy industries are linked to species extinction because as animal agriculture continues to take over the Earth's landmass, species-rich habitats like the Amazon are being destroyed. 
I, you know, when it's hard as you and I are, are speaking, and that's why I love what you do at PETA, because you not only tell us about these things, but you show us images, you show us pictures, you really connect us to the heart and the pulse of not only what's going on, but we're talking today because we can modify our diets. And, you know, this is the thing that I love now about when I have conversations like this. Um, as a side note, one of the first talks I ever did as, how should I say it, as I was giving birth to myself to become a little bit more green friendly back in the day, mm -hmm. I, did, I did a talk on the 50 Shades of Green. And I remember doing that talk in a large audience. And, and, and what I was saying was, yes, ideally you want to go to the deep shade of green if you could get there. But if you can't, You've got to start somewhere. That was not well received about 10 years ago, just saying. But this topic is akin to that for me. If we don't start somewhere to make a change, we'll never get on the pathway to further change. How can you help us with understanding the importance of making even the simplest change for people? Oh, well, you already mentioned our website, PETA.org. People can find tons of resources on there, tons of facts. They'll find recipes to help them eat vegan. They'll find resources to help them live vegan. Uh, for example, where to buy uh, vegan fashion or what, where to buy cosmetics that haven't been tested on animals. And the reason I mentioned that is because um, cow leather, has, is now regarded as the most polluting material in fashion. Um, and so it's very important that we, that we live vegan. And a lot of people are, are looking at their diet, looking at what they buy and making changes. In fact, two thirds of Americans reported reducing meat consumption in some capacity over three years. And everything we do helps. Absolutely. In fact, um, Oxford Martin School researchers, they found that a global switch to vegan diets could save 8.1 million lives by 2050, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 70%, lead to healthcare-related savings up to $1,000 billion per year, and it could avoid climate-related damages of $1.5 trillion. Each person who decides uh, to have a vegan meal one day is helping toward making those positive changes happen. Yeah, and, and that brings me to you know I, I want to make sure I get this question in. I know you're gonna you're you're gonna be running off here in a minute. How are we doing with our industries? You know, how are we doing with industries moving, you know, or at least providing more options when it comes to vegan meats, milks, cheeses, and other foods? What are you seeing in, in industries and corporations in, as the, the providers of food? Oh, well, these days you can go to just about any supermarket anywhere in the U.S. and you'll find delicious vegan meats, wonderful vegan milks. You'll also find vegan cheeses, vegan yogurts, vegan ice creams, because as the demand changes, so does the supply. And with that comes also new, wonderful business opportunities. That's why we see the global plant-based meat market value it's estimated to reach 35 billion 
by 2027, and vegan milks are estimated to reach a profit of 41 billion by, by 2025. So we're even seeing meat companies getting in on the action, like Tyson Foods, Smithfield, Hormel, all of them have come out with their own plant-based meats. You can go to places like Baskin Robbins, Carl's Jr., Del Taco, Starbucks. All of them are uh, have wonderful vegan options these days. And, you know, the other thing, too, I know you talk about is we're finding that people in the industry, especially dairy, are able to convert some of their old machinery and equipment. And I think that has always been the sticking point for industry. But they are finding that they can literally convert some of their old processing equipment. And I think I think that is refreshing information, isn't it? Oh, for sure. There's a there's a dairy uh, or a former dairy, I should say, called Elmhurst in New York, which now sells plant milk instead of uh, cow milk. And it's, yeah. it's a dairy that was in existence for 100 years. Um, so that's right. Uh, we're now seeing there, you know, there's a beef farmer uh, in the UK who's now switched to, to plant production. He uses his land for producing plants instead. Mm. There's been... Wow transitions made by by pig farmers and so um people around the world they're they're having a change of heart as they're learning more and more about how going vegan living vegan uh can help in such a huge variety of ways can help animals can help the planet can help our own health um, thank you Porva. thank you so much for today and everything that you all do at PETA we're going to take a short break everybody we'll be right back Get empowered. Transformation Talk Radio. Can't get enough of Eye of Soul Radio? Join psychic medium Jamie every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. Take a deeper look at the raw side of spirit. Nothing is off limits. Connect with lost loved ones and explore these vulnerable subjects with the compassionate guidance of psychic medium Jamie. You are not alone. Eye of Soul, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, only on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Thank you all for tuning in. Now, a very special meditation from Dr. Friedemann Schaub. Take a few breaths in and out. And with each breath, feel your own presence more and more. Use your breath to remember that this is your life. And there is one person in that life who matters the most, which is you. You don't only have the right to take care of yourself, you have the responsibility to make yourself the priority. After all, if you are all drained and empty, what is there left to give? Giving doesn't mean giving up on yourself. So be open to learn about the four boundaries it will help you to become more independent and more free from the old pattern of pleasing others. 
Now imagine that you're in a beautiful home, a comfortable place where you can just be yourself, where you can heal and grow, thrive and learn to love yourself more and more. This can be a cottage, a mansion, a farmhouse, or a loft in the city. What matters most is that you feel truly safe to be yourself here. So look around and you may see that this home isn't yet how you want it to be. But you know there is huge potential here. And you know that you can make this home the home of your dream. You have the ability to do the things that need to be done every day. But even more than that, you also know that you can find out things that you always wanted to do and you can do them now in that home without any doubts and hesitations. And all of a sudden, you hear somebody knocking at the door. You open and see a familiar face. You know, one of those people from work or a friend or a family member, someone you usually please or take care of. And this person is here with an expectation, as always, for you to drop whatever you're doing, to leave your home, and to take care of his or her needs. But unlike all the other times where you immediately agree and give and even often overgive, this time you say kindly but firmly, no, I have to take care of my home, myself and my life first. And you notice with surprise that your visitor accepts your boundary and is actually leaving with more respect and appreciation for you than before. So back in your house, you take a moment and with excitement and relief, you realize that saying no wasn't that difficult. And it was actually quite empowering. But then you hear this familiar inner voice piping up. The voice of that part of you that starts feeling anxious and maybe even guilty about disappointing others and potentially losing their acceptance and approval. So you sit down and kindly but firmly say, no, we are not going down the path of guilt and shame. I choose to give myself the time, energy and care I used to give to everybody else but myself. Taking care of myself is not selfish or self-centered. Taking care of myself is my sacred responsibility to myself and my life. So this is your second boundary 
your inner boundary, which allows you to refocus on yourself and your home improvements. So you're scanning around and you can see that other people have left a bit of a mess here that needs to be cleared out. This clutter that you see are all the expectations and projections people have burdened you with. The role of the peacemaker, caretaker, selfless helper, all those roles that you were given since your childhood. Or you can find the imprints of your colleagues that you are the one who always can take overtime on the weekend. Or your friends and family members who expect you to be always there for them without any questions asked. So this is your third boundary, which is to let go of all these old patterns and programs that no longer serve you and truthfully have only distracted you from yourself. So you go through each room with a big bag and collect all the unwanted clutter and junk that doesn't belong to you. You clean your house to make it your own. And remember, letting go is easy and natural, just like exhaling. And the more you're filling into this bag, the more clutter you find, the lighter you feel. You actually have fun cleaning your home. And you realize that somehow all these old situations and people and projections had captured some of you, some of your power. So by taking charge and letting go, you feel your power returning more and more. And you feel that you're creating space for more of yourself, your authentic truth to return as well. Now, after all this great work, you sit down and relax and put your feet up. And you know how empowering it feels to have your boundaries, to say no to others, to say no to your own impulses, to feel bad when you don't take care of others. You enjoy the freedom and the lightness of releasing the old energies and echoes of other people's expectations. But you also realize when you take a moment and look into your heart that you are a kind and caring person, somebody who wants to do good in the world. And so here is your fourth boundary, the force field of compassion. In the past, you have taken the problems and needs of others personally. You have absorbed their feelings and expectations and opinions, and therefore we're often unable to discern between them and yourself. 
With compassion, however, you're still aware of what others need or are going through, but you can clearly see what is them and what is you. It's like an invisible barrier. So with a force field of compassion, you can calmly reflect on any given situation and choose, not out of neediness, but out of strength, how you want to approach it. Through the lens of compassion, you never lose sight on the responsibility for yourself and on other people's potential and potential and responsibility to learn, grow, and overcome their own problems. So open your heart and let your compassion gently flow from it. Fill yourself up and surround yourself with that compassion, like a beautiful light. Feel this compassion, not only for others, but also for yourself. This allows you to always know whether it's time for you to support others from the kindness of your heart, or whether it's time to take care of yourself. And as you sit in the light of your compassion, reflecting on your boundaries, you trust that through your kind and caring nature, you will continue to be of support to those that you love and care about. But you no longer overgive or overextend yourself. Your sense of worthiness and safety depend on you and not on others. So instead of pleasing others, you're committed to learn to appreciate, love, and believe in yourself more and more. Because whatever you have been looking for in others is already available to you within. So allow yourself just to let all these messages percolate in your system, find their place in your mind, take on what feels right, and let yourself just be inspired by whatever you have now seen as possible for you to find yourself, your independence, and your peace, confidence, and happiness through letting go of pleasing others and learning to focus more on yourself. And then allow yourself to take a nice breath in. Exhale. One more time, deeply inhale. Exhale. 